On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 11th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018, we catch up with the Western Bulldogs, Brooke Lachlan, the Brisbane Lions, Nat Exxon, the Wisconsin Wombats, Nafla Pop, the Vietnam Swans, Chia Sabatucci, and the Sanford Women's Report with Alison Schiller. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 11th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018, our 102nd edition overall. And a friendly reminder that this podcast is first as a radio program, Wednesday evening, 6pm, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or via the RSN Racing and Sport app. And for all the latest women's footy news, simply head along to girlsplayfooty.com or follow us on social media through Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Our first guest for this week was recruited out of the VFLW competition from Melbourne University. She actually started her senior women's footy career with Montmorency in the VWFL. Now she finds herself as the league-leading goal kicker with one round to go, sitting on a current total of 11 from six games. It's great to have on the line the Western Bulldogs' Brooke Lachland. Brooke, thanks very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. And does it blow your mind that you're currently the league-leading goal kicker? It does. It definitely does blow my mind. Uh, I don't think anyone would have thought that uh, I'd be up there. But, um, yeah, it's really, really nice feeling. And hopefully I can stay up there until the end. But obviously this weekend, um, it's you know, we've got to kick goals. But we've also got to do the team thing. And, and I'll be doing that this weekend. So before we get into the big doggies and D's clash, let's take a jump back through time to your footy career. Now, you're part of the generation, aren't you, where the rule was back in place that there wasn't girls football for those in their mid to late teens and, and you had to stop your career, didn't you, early? Yeah, I did. So it was a, it was a little bit sad. I was I was the only girl in the in the team. I played with all boys um, when I was 11 and 12 and then, um, you know, at 13 I did have to stop and I was really, I guess I was a bit lucky that I did have another sport I could go off and do. Um, but for all those other girls, um, you know, all I've heard that it was really sad for them and they kind of, you know, disliked the sport a little bit because they really wanted to play and couldn't. So, um, yeah, I was really lucky I could keep going with sport. Back in the days at St Mary's in Greensboro, as you said, you took up another sport which helped take you overseas. There's been a lot about your ice skating, obviously, but you're also a very good inline skater. In fact, if I'm correct, uh, top five at the World Championships. Yeah, so I started with inline skating. Um, I did start ice skating a lot later in life. So inline, I started at four. And um, then when I went overseas, uh, I was living in Holland at the time. And ice skating is, I guess, one of their national sports. And so I started to do that in the winter and inline in the summer. So it was you know, a big year. I um, only got off about a month off each year. Uh, and that month was coming home to Australia to see family. And then I'd go back over there. So I was there for about six years. And I guess uh, with that experience, you're able to compare the elite sports environment, everything that happens behind the scenes um, there in Europe to what you've now got at AFLW. Are they very comparable about the resources that were given to you, A, first of all, as an inline and ice skater over in Europe and now as a footballer in Australia? 
Yeah, definitely. Obviously, there's, you know, there, there is a lot more help, I think, within the resources within an AFL club. Um, and I think that's because you've got, you know, 30, 30 girls on a list, whereas uh, I was the only girl competing uh, in ice skating. So, um, you know, probably less resources, but being in that elite environment, um, you know, you, you really learn so much. And I feel like I've brought that to, to AFL. A long way from Europe is Montmorency in northeast Melbourne. And somehow in 2014, you found yourself playing with the Magpies. How did that conversation come about? <laughs> it was quite a funny one. So when I came back from overseas, uh, I needed to, to obviously get a job. Um, so I started working at a pub, which my sister was managing at the time. Uh, and I was cleaning a table of a, a group that were from the Montmorency Footy Club and they were having a little meeting and uh, I overheard them talking and I said, I just, you know, started started asking them a few questions and they said, well, why don't you just come down and play a few games? Uh, and I didn't mind the idea. I knew I wanted to find another sport. I just didn't know what it was going to be. Um, so played a few games for them and obviously, yeah, just fell in love with it again and, and it went from there. The Montmorency Magpies in 2014 played as part of the combined Division 3 and 4. They were split at the end of the year. And you end up uh, playing in a premiership in your first year of senior women's footy with the Montmorency Magpies, wearing number 35, uh, defeating Golden Point at Coburg. And if I'm correct, the club gave you the best player in the final series award. Yeah, they did. Um, so yeah, we're, we had a really good year, obviously, um, after it's after the the game or the group split. Um, you know, we we're at the bottom half, uh, but it was still really competitive for us. And playing my first year, you know, it, it's not bad to kind of, you know, um, get used to just playing again. And, and we were really lucky to win a premiership. And, um, you know, we played another another grand final next year after that. So, um, yeah, it wasn't bad to win another premiership, that's for sure. Coming into 2015, for that year with Montmorency, you would end up making the grand final runners-up in Division 2. You would win a best and fairest. You'd also uh, represent your state, Victoria 2, against New South Wales at Punt Road. It was also around the time of the exhibition games that were being played. Did that help change, I guess, your attitude to football, that, okay, this is not just a, a friendly kick in the park. This is something that I can do and take further? Yeah, definitely. I I honestly just started footy to get back into some kind of sport, and I really just wanted to do it for fun, for competing at a, a high level for so long. Um, I wanted to be in a team sport and somewhere where I could just have fun and and enjoy enjoy sport. But it did, yeah, definitely did get to that stage where I was like, oh, you know, I I could pursue this and 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 go further. So, um, and I wanted to do that, and and then obviously. We didn't know back then, but now that we've we've got eight AFL teams, and um, you know that's it's really exciting. We didn't know it was going to happen, and it's booming, and um, we can't wait to see the competition grow further. Coming into 2016, unfortunately, Montmorency didn't have the numbers to field a senior women's side that year. So yourself and Deanna Berry had to hit the road and find a new club. How did it come about to choose Melbourne University as your club of destination? You've really done your your research. Um, yeah, so we didn't. Yeah, we didn't have enough numbers. Um, we didn't want to fold, but unfortunately, we had to. But obviously, it was the best thing for mine and Deanna's 
football and um, we had Bailey Hunt as well. Um, and we, we, we weren't sure where we wanted to go. We knew we wanted to play VFL. Uh, there was a few options, but, um, you know, we, we really felt like we were a fit at Melbourne Uni and it's really paid off for us. Indeed, it has. And uh, when you played for them in 2016, they would end up making the uh, VFLW Grand Final for that year at Coburg. Um, a good start to the year early, uh, obviously, last year as well in 2017. But being in Melbourne Uni, being in the VFL, put you into the spotlight. It saw you selected in the draft. But you had to wait about, I think, if I'm correct, round seven of the draft when you finally got uh, picked up by the Bulldogs. What's that nervous wait like when round one goes, round two goes, round three goes, and your name still hasn't been called at that stage? <laughs> yeah, it feels like a lifetime, definitely. Um, you know, I think I was at pick 56 or something like that, so it actually probably isn't a massive wait, but when you're sitting in that room, um, you know, you're sweating and you're just not sure. You, you just don't know if your name's going to come out. So um, when I got called, um, oh, just massive relief and I'm um, really excited that I got to go to the, the Bulldogs and they're a great, great club, great bunch of girls and um, yeah, hopefully uh, we can make a grand final this year. You only have one ever first and of course that was the first game against Fremantle in 2017. That's when the Bulldogs kicked off their I guess journey in, in AFL women's football if we leave aside the exhibition games for a moment. Do you still remember that first day running out onto the ground in this official league? Oh, definitely. You, you never forget it. Um, you know, it was so nerve-wracking, I guess, leading up to the, the competition and the first game. And uh, at Winnova, we're so lucky with the fans that we have. And I, I think it was almost a lockout, 12,000 people. Um, and obviously after watching the, the Carlton Collingwood game and seeing that they had a lockout, we, we knew it was going to be pretty big. And, yeah, you, you run out there, you, you definitely take it all in. And, um, you know, to this day, we, we still kind of talk about it as a group that, you know, there's there's more than just – it's more than just playing footy and it's it's about the community and the fans and, and everything else that comes with it. The 2017 season was probably one of disappointment for the Western Bulldogs. In fact, in the last game, you took on the GWS Giants to try and avoid the wooden spoon, which is kind of funny as you're both trying to get a grand final <laughs> spot this year, how things turn quickly. Um, I think it was fair to say last year, particularly after KB went down with her first injury, that you were getting a lot of the ball in the midfield, but you were just struggling in the forward line to be able to finish it off and get reward for effort. Yeah, um, you never you never want to lose your captain, of course. And Katie's such an amazing player, and arguably one of the best forwards in the competition. Um, so yeah, it wasn't great to lose her. And um, you know, we we had a lot that we had to look at from last year. And Paul Groves has really done that, and um, he's taken in the feedback that we've given him, and he's put together a, an amazing program this year. And everyone's um, you know happy and. Um, obviously it's showing with our football. Um, but, yeah, so you never like to lose your captain. Um, but, you know, we're, we're hopeful that Katie will be back this weekend. Let's talk about that pre-season because there's a lot of talk coming out that it was a skills-focused pre-season. That, uh, we're not saying that strength and conditioning and game plan was thrown out the window, but the greater emphasis was just on the basics. Is that fair? 
Yeah, it is. Um, I think no matter how many years you've been playing footy, I think that everyone has to go back to basics. And um, I did that with my skating as well. Every year I'd go back to, you know, the things that you do when you're four years old and learning how to skate. And I think it's really important to, you know, go back to the fundamentals and get that right. And, and we did that. Uh, and it's it's honestly really paid off. And we've been really lucky. We've had our development coach in Andrew uh Shakespeare, who's been great. Um, and, yeah, it's paid off for us. So, yeah. This season, as much as the Bulldogs were having success, some of the dominoes began to fall one by one. You lost Daria Bannister to an injury. Then you lost Isabel Huntington to the ACL. Then Katie obviously missed quite a few games as she went down with the ankle injury again. This is just before that game against Carlton, just before you would end up kicking that seven goals. What's the mood and thinking at that time? You've essentially lost, you've almost lost your forward line, or at least the spine of it. Was it a case of we already have plan B ready, or was it during that week of Paul saying, I need to go to to scratch and this is the new plan that we're creating? Yeah, it wasn't ideal, obviously, losing Dara and Izzy. They're both amazing athletes, amazing footballers who had a great preseason, and um, it's just not something you want to see um, with any anyone in the competition you know not your teammates not anyone else so it's not a it's not a good thing to see but we were really um, you know we've we've got the depth in our team and we knew that someone was going to come in and step up um, and yeah we did go with a bit of a smaller forward line and we had to we lost we lost Katie as a tall and you know Izzy and Dario were quite tall as well so um, we knew that our smalls were, were really good footballers and we needed to step up and um, it worked out it worked out for us so um, yeah it's not ideal losing them but they'll come back next year that's for sure well it worked for you in that game against Carlton seven goals three in the end uh, setting the record for the highest amount of goals kicked in a single game in AFL women's football how do you feel coming out of that game that now the spotlight's been turned to you? You're now one of the star players that's held on a pedestal at the Western Bulldogs after that performance. Yeah, it's been it's been a challenge. Um, you know, each week I'm probably getting a lot more attention on the field and it's been, uh, it's, as I said, it's been a challenge for me and it's something that I've had to learn and, and really grow from. But I'm so lucky I've got, the coaching staff that we do to be able to to help me with that and obviously I've gone to Katie um who's as I said one of the the greatest players in the competition as well and she gets a lot of attention each week and I've really learned from her and it'll be really good to have her back on the field this week you had a tough battle last week in Canberra with the GWS Giants they would end up getting the chocolates and now you're in this position you're at your home deck Saturday night national tv free to air you're taking on the side that began the exhibition games with you, Melbourne, uh, in a battle of whoever wins gets the grand final spot and essentially the host uh, rights for the grand final, even though we believe it'll be at Icon Park. How do you feel coming into this game that this is it, all the chocolates are on the table, this is the game where you must win and it's the big Saturday night audience? Yeah, we're really excited that we are at home and we've got a great crowd and it's always good vibes at, at Wit Noble. We know it's massive a massive game for us, but we're just going to focus on our game plan and we know that um, 
we've got to take the game on and, and take some take some risks. And Melbourne are a great side, and they're going to do the same. And we're both going to come out hard, and we know that. And hopefully, we can just put on a good show and and the best team at the end will at the end will win. And hopefully, it's us. <laughs> Has there been much talk from Paul about the intensity of this match? I mean, we expect Melbourne to be a very physical and intense side anyway, but for the simple is that there is no tomorrow, everything in the kitchen sink's going to be thrown at you. Has there been much talk of how to cope with that intensity and to keep your composure during it? Um, we've honestly just spoken about ourselves and the way we want to play. And we know that when we play our best, best footy that we're a great side um, and we respect them. They're a great side as well. So, um, yeah, we, we just know we need to go out there and, and win the ball first and and really attack from there. And just finally, obviously, two players that you hope that are going to continue their red-hot form for the Western Bulldogs, and you have the privilege of playing alongside them when you pull on the Melbourne Uni jumper, is Ali Blackburn and Emma Carney. Are you just in awe of those two every time that you manage to run out and get to play alongside them? Oh, of course. How can you not be in... Um, you know, I have so much respect for those two girls. When I started football at Melbourne Uni, I had absolutely no clue what I was doing and I got chucked into the midfield with, with them two superstars and um, they've really taught me so much um, with my footy and they've really helped me grow and learn and um, along along with that, they help, you know, everyone else in the team as well and they're leaders and they, you know, they're, they're big ch- game changers as well and I think that you'll see that. Hopefully, you'll see that on Saturday night as well. But, yeah, they're absolute superstars and so lucky to play with them, that's for sure. Well, Brooke, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. We wish you all the very best for Saturday night in what's going to be an epic contest when yourselves and Melbourne go head-to-head to try and get that grand final spot. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our next guest on the line here at Girls Play Footy was signed to the Carlton Football Club in 2016, recruited as a rookie out of the Darabin Falcons. She would end up playing five AFLW games for the Blues before breaking her ankle in the game against the Western Bulldogs. A matter of months later, she'd be part of a trade deal where Taylor Harris would go down to Carlton and herself and Isabella Eyre would end up going to the Brisbane Lions. She not only has been doing great things on the field for the Lions, but off the field as well, in particular for the world's greatest shave, courtesy of her mullet, which has raised nearly six thousand dollars it's great to have on the line nat exxon nat thanks very much for joining us here at girls play footy and first of all congratulations the mullet is gone <laughs> thank you bit sad to see it go but um yeah for a good cause and how did you feel about that because um i, I don't think many people were noticing the great things you were doing on the field for the lions it was all about the hair <laughs> yeah it was um Oh, it definitely got a bit more attention than I expected. Um, but it, it turned out to be a good thing, really, because it, it raised more awa- awareness of uh, the shave that I was doing. A terrific result for the Leukemia Foundation's World's Greatest Shave. I remember seeing it a few weeks ago. We were sitting, I think, about seven or $800. In the end, you raised a staggering $5,985. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm stoked with that amount. I, I was hoping to get to $5,000, um, and... Yeah, the support from everyone's been awesome. Um, yeah, I didn't I certainly didn't expect to get around six. And what gave you the inspiration to say, look, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to let the hair grow wild, and I'm going to shave it off for the Leukemia Foundation. 
I just sort of figured um, it's, yeah, it's something really simple that I could do that would make a massive difference for, for people in that position. And now that I've, I've got sort of a platform where I can reach a wide range of people um, with through the AFLW, um, yeah, I just thought it was a really great time to do it. And a terrific result with $5,985. The media surrounded it, a whole heap of attention. Let's hope more people get behind the world's greatest shave. Let's focus now, obviously, on your footballing. Before we focus on AFLW, we've called you a number of times at Darabin, but your footy career began before that. Where did it originally begin? Yeah, so I started off playing Auskick um, down at the, the local school, uh, and then I played uh, junior footy for Warrandyte um, up until under 13s. And what led to the initial conversation for you to join the powerhouse that is Darabin in the then VWFL? Uh, so I'd, I'd met a couple of the girls uh, at the VFL Academy, the um, Victorian one. So, um, yeah, I'd spoken to Daisy and I just thought, you know, they had a, a great bunch of girls and some obviously amazing players. And I just thought that's probably the best place to go and, and learn off the best. Is it reassuring or intimidating to be in an environment like that where there are so many stars? Yeah, it was a bit intimidating at first. Um, but they were also welcoming and, and they're really um, great with sharing their knowledge and um, just trying to help everyone else improve. So uh, that made it a lot easier. And it, all, it always is easier when you walk away with a premiership medal like you did uh, <laughs> yeah. in 2016. Um, I guess on that is, how do you feel personally like at Darabin, and then obviously when you played your first year at Carlton, uh, as much as you were a good footballer, there was always those stars at the other clubs, so you kind of flew under the radar. How do you feel that you're at the Brisbane Lions, and courtesy of the mullet, that you're now in the spotlight? Um, yeah, I sort of prefer not to be in the spotlight, um, just play footy and, and get the job done. Um, but it is nice to be recognised, I guess, uh, when you're playing well. And um, I think I try and more focus on like the internal recognition within the team. Um, but yeah, obviously it's nice when you hear, hear good things about how you're playing. Let's go back to 2016. It was October. It's the first ever AFL Women's Draft. What were your feelings going into that day? Uh, well, I got picked up as a rookie beforehand um, because I hadn't played uh, prior to, I think it was June that year. Um, so I wasn't too nervous, but it was more um, just excited to see who my new teammates would be. And obviously there was a lot of girls I played with that I, I was hoping to get picked up as well. So I was a bit nervous for them, but um, I was lucky enough to go along to the draft and there was just such a good atmosphere in the room and everyone was so excited. It was, yeah, it was awesome to be a part of. When you hear those other names get called out, and they're obviously um, not only the, the best of Victorian talent, there was a few from interstate that applied for the Victorian draft pool. Do you keep thinking to yourself, not only, oh, great, we're getting all these players to who are going to join you at Carlton, but, oh, my goodness, will I get a spot on the side? That player's good. That player's good. That player's good. Do you almost think to yourself, geez, where do I fit in the picture? Yeah, it was a bit like that, um, especially because I'd only recently come back to footy. I wasn't really sure where I stood, and... Um, I guess I just sort of was hoping that I could prove myself over the pre-season. But, um, yeah, hearing all those names called out, there was there's a lot of talent there. You end up playing five games at Carlton. Unfortunately, that game against the Western Bulldogs, you did uh, break your ankle. Do you recall <laughs> that moment and, and, I guess, the frustration 
of, okay, not only were you not going to be able to see out the remainder of the AFLW season, but how it was obviously going to affect you for the VFLW. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was really disappointing. I was I was having an amazing time and enjoying every match, so it was it was pretty tough to get that news. Um, but I've had I've had a few injuries in the past, and as far as as far as injuries go, it was a pretty straightforward one, um, just being a bone. So I knew it would heal pretty well. There wasn't going to be any long term stuff. Um, obviously, I, I missed the VFL season, um, but that that gave me a good good chance to um, get into the gym and get really strong and just um, nail the rehab really. Of course, we had our first ever AFLW trade period. It was out there on the table before the official trades began that Taylor Harris wanted to come from Brisbane down to Melbourne and preferably for Carlton. There were all kinds of names bandied about. Bianca Jacobson was one of the early names. In the end, the deal was done where Isabella Eyre and yourself went up to Brisbane. Do you recall the conversations? Because in the AFLW, they need your permission if you're to move interstate. Do you recall the yeah. conversation about we would like you to go to Queensland? Yeah, so it was more. Um, so Stas, uh, the Brisbane coach, gave me a call and and sort of floated the idea and asked if I'd be interested. And um, it sounded like a really exciting opportunity for me. So I sat down. Um, with Damo and had a chat to him and he just sort of said, yeah, it's a really good opportunity. Obviously, they were pretty keen to get Taylor Harris. So, um, yeah, he was sort of said, you know, if you're happy with it, go for it. Um, so there wasn't really um, that thing of them saying to, to move to Queensland. Um, it was, yeah, completely up to me. But, yeah, I was just super excited by the chance. And how have you adjusted to moving your life from Victoria to Queensland? Because if I'm correct, I believe you finished your studies at ACU doing a, a Bachelor of Commerce and a Bachelor of Laws. How have you had to try and pick up not just football, because you're part-time footballers, but obviously trying to make a living and be able to stay up there in Queensland? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was really lucky for me that it was, it was good timing having, you know, I only had a month left of uni until um, I finished, so... I was able to do one of my exams up here um, and the club's been awesome. They've set me up with a job um, doing Auskick clinics and going out to schools with AFL Queensland. So um, that's been awesome. That's definitely helped, um, I guess, make ends meet so that I can move up here. And on that, since you're helping the kids, we don't want to touch too much on the mullet, but does that kind of thing help break the ice, particularly when you're dealing with the kids who are looking up to you as stars? Yeah, I think so. I know I had a lot of uh, a lot of young girls coming up to me saying, "Oh, we love your hair," and um, so that yeah, that helps sort of start the conversation with them. And I was interested to note, I was having a look online when we were doing a bit of research, and again with the ACU, when you did your Bachelor of Law, you, you actually stated that you'd be interested in working within sports full-time. And th- In fact, I think you even threw the comment out there that even legal counsel for the AFL. Oh, yeah, I think I did, actually. You're right. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've loved footy my whole life, and... Um, it's good to have that degree, but um, I'd ultimately like to be doing something within sport. You know, I've done a lot of um, athletics coaching over the years. And, um, yeah, so if I could find a, a job that combines both, that would be ideal. <laughs> now, what's the plan come post-AFLW season? We've seen someone like Caitlin Ashmore do the up and back, spend the winters in Melbourne, spend the summers in Queensland. What's your plan? To return home or are you looking to stay permanently up there in Queensland? I haven't really decided yet. I'm um I'm going to come home after the season's finished. Um, 
it'll be good to see my family and stuff again. Um, and I think I might go overseas for a couple of months just to a bit of travel. I love doing that. So, um, yeah, at this stage, I'm just going to play it by ear. And, um, I mean, hopefully the Lions want to re-sign me. And, yeah. Well, let's look ahead to this Friday night. What a massive game it is at the Blacktown International Sports Park. Yourselves taking on uh, the GWS Giants. And it's pretty simple, isn't it, Nat? You must win to be a chance to be in the grand final. Yeah, it's yeah, that's you've said it. It's um yeah, we've basically got to win. Hope that a few other results go our way, but um yeah, we've just got to do our part and hopefully beat the Giants this Friday. Has there been much talk about it in the camp? Because we have to face reality. This is different from every other game. You know, there is no tomorrow if the result doesn't go your way. Uh, is it, is there been Craig or has there been Zilks just talking to the group, trying to, I guess, settle nerves a bit and keep focus despite everything being on the line on Friday night? Um, not so much um, uh, official talk, but we've spoken um, amongst the girls and... Um, Shani, one of the girls, she she mentioned the other day, like, let's just go out and, and have fun and remember why we started playing footy. Um, yes, there's a lot on the line, but if we just have fun and, and play the way we want to play, um, the results should go our way. So, um, yeah, we're just trying to focus on that, I think. And I guess for you in the midfield, a tough battle with yourself, uh, Zilks, uh, uh, Emily Bates, etc. Coming up against um, the likes of Courtney Gum and Alicia Eva, who have been on fire for the Giants so far this season. Oh yeah, they've been brilliant. Um, it's yeah, it's going to be tough to stop them. Um, they've been really great with contested ball as well. Um, so yeah, I think while we want to play our game, we've got to be pretty mindful of them and. Um, maybe put a bit of work into them to see how we can stop them. Indeed. Fingers crossed for you, and let's hope it all goes well on Friday night. Nat, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. Once again, congratulations for raising almost $6,000 for the Leukemia Foundation, and uh, have a good one on Friday night at Blacktown International Sports Park. Oh, thanks for that. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Girls Play Footy on digital radio in Melbourne via RSN Carnival and on the RSN Racing and Sport app. Also available as a podcast via SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. Time to head overseas, and we're heading back to the United States where we've spoken to female footballers in the states of New York, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Texas, Oregon, Washington State, California, to name a few. But how about Wisconsin? Now, why are we going there? Well, there's a couple of female footballers there in Madison, Wisconsin, as part of the Wisconsin Wombats. And what makes their state so special is that this year they'll be hosting the USAFL Nationals on the weekend of October 13 and 14 in Racine, Wisconsin. It's great to have on the line one of the founders of the Wisconsin Wombats, Nafla Poff. Naf, how are you? I'm doing really well. Happy to be here. How are you all doing? Not too bad at all. It's it's great to have someone from the home state of what's going to be this year's USAFL Nationals. Uh, for you personally, I know you're not actually based in Racine, but how important is it for you to have the Nationals in your home state this year of Wisconsin? It's extremely exciting for me uh, and for my team, the Wisconsin Wombats, as well. Just we're, We only started two years ago this week, actually, and... Being able to recruit and have a way to incentivize people to to come to nationals and come to practices uh, without 
you know, the huge financial burden of travel is is going to be amazing. I can't wait to have it so close to home and to have my family and friends be able to see what I what I do finally. Well, we'll get into all of that in just a moment's time, but let's take a time warp and jump back about five years. If I'm correct, you found Aussie Rules Football in 2013. How did that come about? So that's when I started playing, but I first actually found it in 2004 in Malindi, Kenya. Uh, I was watching TV on a, at my aunt's house and saw Aussie Rules Football fell in love. I could not figure out the rules when I first watched it at all. I knew you couldn't throw the ball and you couldn't punch anyone. That was everything I could figure out. And then I watched it off and on throughout the years. And then when I moved to to Minneapolis uh, for graduate school, I saw that there was a women's team, the Minnesota Freeze, and I was hooked from, from that day forward. And you took to it like a duck to water because... 2013, you signed on to play. A year later, there you are traveling to Australia to represent the United States. Could you believe that it all happened in such a short space of time? I I couldn't at all. I had played soccer most of my life growing up, and I always felt like there was something missing, and apparently it was being able to use my hands and to drop kick the ball, so who knew? (laughs) And tackle as well, mind you. How, how did you find exactly. the? <laughs> how did you find the Minnesota Freeze? Because they'd been, uh, in terms of numbers anyway, quite a successful program over the years. In fact, there, there were times at nationals where the Freeze were able to supply a team and a half. They are the most amazing group of women that I have met in my life, and the men's team as well. Uh, they're always looking to support each other and. To, to grow the sport, not only in Minnesota and the Twin Cities, but all over the country. Uh, when I moved to Madison, they were some of the first people to, to offer support and help me build the team here. When we talk about the Freeze and what a great program that they've had, they've supplied so many players on men's and women's to the USAFL Nationals team. Uh, they've really been, um, I, I guess, one of the core sides, haven't they, in developing the USAFL women's program that's gone, I think, from, um, what, a handful of teams to now 14, 15 teams. They really have. Uh, the Our coaches throughout the years have really focused on building the game and the technique and really playing as a team. And I think while our progression in skills hasn't necessarily been super fast it you can see every year we work or they work better as a team and just keep building skill wise and they're really going to be be a team to watch out for in the coming years now obviously playing uh, in minnesota with the freeze and now starting up in wisconsin uh with the wombats now you have the issue where, unlike where you played the Nationals in past years, such as Sarasota, such as San Diego, that's a warm climate. You can almost train all year round if you'd like. Things are a lot colder up in the northern part of the United States. So how does that affect your training and when you're able to actually start and get things underway for the year? It does make it difficult. Uh, Playing in the snow isn't as fun as it sounds. You can't handball quite as efficiently. But we find ways to do it. I know the Minnesota team has their fitness through footy sessions. They find indoor areas that 
they're able to get a kick in, uh, get some touches on the ball, and even exploring fitness uh, outside of footy. So when I first joined, my very first footy experience was actually in a boxing gym. I did not touch the ball the ball at all that day, uh, but just keeping us moving, keeping us engaged, and really building that that team feel. In Wisconsin, because we are a younger team, we don't have the indoor spaces set up quite yet, so it has been a little bit more difficult. But as soon as the snow is all melted, we're out there playing in the mud with gloves so our hands don't go numb uh, and just getting as many touches as as soon in the season as we can and as late into the season as we can. So let's learn a little bit about Wisconsin, at least two of the cities. Uh, first of all, everyone knows about Milwaukee, uh, from baseballing terms, home of the Milwaukee Brewers. Everyone knows about Green Bay, home of the Cheeseheads, the Packers. Madison and Racine, let's focus obviously on Madison first, where uh, you're coming out of. Can you describe what the city is like? It is a large college town. So if anybody has followed NCAA basketball, the March Madness at all, um, we are the home of the Wisconsin Badgers. And it, with that, there are benefits. We do have a lot of young people that are willing to try out new sports like footy. Uh, but the problem is that they often leave after they're done with their college or grad school experience. So that's been our biggest struggle here. But it's wonderful. We have lots of water. It's a beautiful area to be in, uh, the capital of Wisconsin. And so it's it's a, a little utopia in Wisconsin, uh, so to speak. Uh, you mentioned about that, trying to attract college students. Uh, for the Wombats, and I guess uh, overall for the USAFL clubs that do have women's teams, how hard is it to try and attract players where I guess for a lot of the colleges, a lot of them, at least in women's sports, are pouring money into track and athletics, into soccer, into basketball. There's programs now in rugby. How hard is it trying to get the athlete to try and come along and pick up the game of Aussie rules? It's been incredibly difficult uh, getting people to pull away from their studies when we're not a school-sanctioned sport has been been a bit of a struggle, and even just getting the word out to students uh, has also been difficult. The season poses a large barrier since we start at the end of their school year, uh, so most universities and the early to mid-May portion, and we're starting early to mid-April, and then many college students are gone for the summer doing internships and then coming back at the end of our season, so they can't devote as much time to us as we would like them to or they would like them to. Uh, and I've I've noticed that it's even harder finding women, college-age women, to join. There, there seems to be a struggle if for many women who don't want to go by themselves to a practice and finding several other friends that want to go to a tackle-based uh, sport <laughs> seems to, to discourage them a little. Well, let's have a look at the current numbers at the moment because you said you've only just started two years ago. What are numbers looking on the men's side and the women's side? We know, uh, at least so far, you've been the sole uh, female Wombats representative uh, at, at the Nationals. Yes. Uh, right now, I would say that we have between 15 to 20 men, a group of 10 or so that come consistently. 
and I I have feel very good about this season, especially with nationals being in Racine, being able to build the men's side. The women's side is myself and then a player that you may have heard of, uh, Jenny Sarbacher, who has been in the footy world since women started playing in the USAFL. And it is it is right now because I am also coaching the team. It's difficult to get women uh, since the only other woman that they can tackle with is yelling at everybody else <laughs> to do things. Uh, but yes, right now we have two women and fifteen to twenty men. Well, let's hope those numbers grow. And, and they have in other parts of the country. And I'll, I'll point to the Texas Heat for the moment because um, the unusual things to explain to everyone, the Texas Heat last year were made up of uh, players from the um, Austin Crows, Dallas Magpies, and uh, also the Houston Lone Stars. And one Wisconsin representative, being yourself, heat and yep. uh, cold conditions in Wisconsin you wouldn't put together. But they were actually a brand-new club. In fact, uh, that that combined team uh, was the first time they played together as 18 aside at the Nationals and ended up finishing third, which was a terrific effort. What did you see as a success as part of their program that you hoped that you could possibly take and and use in Wisconsin? Really, their teamwork. They were the most supportive team that I, especially for a new team that I've seen in a long time, uh, you know, if someone fumbled the ball, there was no yelling at each other. They just supported each other, came through. They, they have an incredible amount of athleticism. I don't know where they recruited these women from, but if I could find some in Wisconsin, I would be over the moon about it. Uh, but I think that they're going to be a huge team, really, in both in D2 when they can be a full Houston team, but then even in D1 when they can get those numbers up because they've got some real real talent, um, some real pure athleticism on their side. Uh, but really just their communication and their support for each other, both on and off the field, I think is what makes them a powerhouse. The original nickname for Wisconsin was the Indomitable Warriors. When did the move and switch come to be the Wombats? Uh, at the end of our first year, so myself and a Revolution player, Jason Pony Wilhelm, started the Indomitable Warriors in 2016. Uh, and we decided to have a name to move forward. And so we would be able to to build a team. But then Jason Pony Wilhelm left and we kind of just wanted to bring ownership to the other players that that had, you know, come around come along for the ride. And so it was a team choice to change the name to the Wisconsin Wombats. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the Nationals this year will be held in Racine, Wisconsin on the weekend of the 13th and 14th of October. Can you describe what Racine is like as a city? Because some of us may have heard about it being the Racine Bells, of course, from that movie, A League of Their Own. What is Racine like as a community? Uh, it's a very, very supportive community. One of the reasons, or not one of the reasons, we've played there many times, actually. Uh, the Freedom tryouts were there in the summer of 2016 and the community of Racine always puts in 
the most amount of effort to make sure that we are well taken care of while we're there. They always have a plethora of volunteers, great snacks. They're always, they're very, very hospitable. They're more than happy to have a thousand, <laughs> a thousand active footy players come into to their town to tackle each other. Um, they, as a town itself, it's, it's fairly, fairly wholesome. It's on the smaller side, a suburb of Milwaukee. Uh, and it is, I believe, the Milwaukee Bombers' home field. Well, there we are, and we'll get to know a little bit about it uh, in about seven months' time from now when the Nationals do roll around. Before we let you go, Nafla, just quickly, if just by like people are listening and uh, they're in the Wisconsin area or they know someone that might be located in Madison, uh, what can they do? How can they get in contact with the Wisconsin Wombats and pull on the boots in 2018? We do have, we are on Facebook under the Wisconsin Wombats. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to find us. Also, if you just want more general information, I am more than happy to field emails. Uh, my email is nafla, N-A-F-L-A dot WISAFA, so W-I-S-A-F-A at gmail.com. Well, Napla, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best as you continue to recruit more footballers to join the Wisconsin Wombats, and let's hope you do very well this year at your home nationals in Racine, Wisconsin in October. Thank you for having me. Let's stay overseas but move to a different part of the globe because we've been talking a lot about women's footy in North America, USA and Canada, and obviously over in Europe, including uh, Germany, France, Ireland, the UK, for example. But how about in Asia? A couple of episodes ago, we talked with Hayley Leary out of the Malaysian Warriors. We know there's a team in Cambodia, but now there's a women's footy side happening in Vietnam. It's our great privilege to have on the line the coach of the Vietnam Swans in Chia Sabatucci. Chia, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. How are you? Very well, thank you, Peter. Thanks very much for having me. Great to have you on the line, but we do have to ask the question, what's someone originally from Melbourne, Australia, doing in Ho Chi Minh City? Uh, I've followed my partner's job up here, actually. So we've come up here as a family to Ho Chi Minh City, and I'm studying my master's. I'm doing my uh, EMBA, my executive um, master's of business administration at RMIT here in Saigon. Well, let's have a look here. Everyone thinks it's, you know, amazing that we have an AFL women's competition. It's about to blow people's minds that we have a women's footy side happening in Vietnam. How did this come to be? Uh, so I'm actually well, originally from Melbourne and love the game AFL. And as we know, the development of um, AFL women's in Australia is huge and it's really growing. Um, and I've just actually, I spent a bit of time in Indonesia and did some development with the AFL Indonesia, but all focused on mainly young young kids, young boys, things like that. So moving to Ho Chi Minh and coming in, I joined a few sports things just last year, actually. I noticed that um, there was a lot of interest with sports and I found that there was a lot of girls playing soccer. So I kind of grabbed that niche and I thought, oh, perfect for women's AFL. So I've established a team here. And, um, yeah, we've got probably a good 10 or 15 Vietnamese girls involved. Uh, so it's been really good, the interest and, and, and the outlook on what we think can happen with the team. And you talk about that. Obviously, they're used to playing soccer there in Vietnam. Uh, what do the girls think when they see this game? Obviously, A, not just using your hands, but the tackle element to the sport as well. Well, yeah, the tackle element, it's, um, 
it's frightening, I guess, for the Vietnamese girls at the start. You know, you've got some of these women that come out and they've had kids and, and like, you know, not just young Vietnamese girls, but, but a couple of our, our ladies have had families and things like that. And that is that is the frightening thing for them, you know. There's oh, and especially you see a bunch of expats, mixed nationalities, you know, a couple of American girls and Australian girls, and we're all running around having a kick and tackling each other, and it's, it is frightening. But once they immerse themselves in the football, and that's my what I suggest to them is just forget about the tackling, forget about knowing the skills as such to start, and just get on get on the field, you know, a paddock with a football, and just give it a go. And when they give it a go, you see them start to like it you know they get that enthusiasm and they they think oh this is a good game and then they you know they keep coming back and that's what I've found over the last say two months. Let's rewind back a little bit because a number of years ago the Vietnam Swans originally began as a men's team and I believe originally they did have ladies attached to it but actually playing Gaelic football rather than Aussie rules. Yes so uh, going back 2014 when I look at the history uh, 2014 Sorry, a couple of years before that. So, yeah, the Gaelic was originated, started from a couple of women down here and, and one one girl, Maz. And so they started a, a kick around with Gaelic, because I guess with the Irish girls as well. So the Irish club was then established and it was mainly girls first and then men came along in the Gaelic. So that was had a lot of support from the Vietnam Swans and it was a partner of one of the guys from the Vietnam Swans. Um and then from that came, they'd play a couple of like the one or two exhibition matches that they played versus Cambodia with the AFL. So we do have, we have what we have coming up this Saturday is a game where we mix AFL and Gaelic and have a, a women's game and a men's game. Um, and so that's happening this Saturday. So yeah, it did originate from having a kick around for Gaelic originally. Um, but I don't think in, AFL wasn't too much of an interest, especially with a few of the Irish and things like that. But um, I must say on Saturday, the team had, you know, a bunch of mixed nationalities when you look at our team. It's made of Americans, Australians, Vietnamese. Our, our actual captain was um, Indonesian, so working here for Nike, um, and a bunch of other girls. We had a couple of South Africans, a Swedish girl that plays um, AFL for Sweden, and a few other girls. So it was a great, great, great bunch of girls, actually, have a kick on Saturday. If we have a look at that um, from when you started back a, a couple of years ago with the Vietnam Swans, what were the realistic expectations early on about getting numbers? Were you confident you were able to get, let alone 18, to be on the park? Um, well, that was Maz that did that back back then. And they used to have probably 10 girls, so not 18. And, and there was there's one um, Vietnamese, Vietnamese girl that would always play. Her name's Rosie. Um, and that was it. So it was never Vietnamese involved. So it was all expatriates. Um, and it's only been now developing up this women's team that I've tried to focus on um, different avenues, trying to get Vietnamese girls involved. And you just have to kind of immerse yourself and, and involve yourself in different football clubs and different communities and network and try and, you know, reach, I guess, certain kind of person that will play AFL. And so I'm just reaching out to everybody and every kind of, you know, just it's diverse cultures around here and it's just uh, trying to get people involved. And then, you know, once they're involved, I guess you can cement that kind of, I guess that, well, how I feel about playing AFL. So, yeah. 
You talk about getting the locals involved. We know, for example, if you look at the USAFL, when they have their nationals, uh, and it's more probably more on the men's side more than anything, uh, they have, for example, a hard and fast rule where 50% of the players on the ground at any one time have to be locals, have to be Americans. Uh, what's the yeah. plan there with women's footy uh, in Asia? Is there looking at something where you have to have, or at least encouraged to have so many locals on the field at one time to... Not only, so, so we're not essentially having a game that's just expats playing. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, that's my focus. So for the last um, like two two months, obviously, I've, I've established this team. And in establishment, it's getting girls involved. And initially, it is starting with a lot of expats. Um, and that's just how it's going to be because, obviously, we know the game. We play the game, whether it's Gaelic, rugby, AFL, or what we play. Um, and we're more inclined to get out and have a kick on the paddock. So by developing that and then building on getting the Vietnamese out, so week by week, you know, even if it's one girl or two girls getting these girls out and giving them that enthusiasm and that, that you know, those skill sets and the, the image of the game and just the culture behind it and everything else that comes with it, we're hoping that eventually what, what will happen is the team will be majority Vietnamese and minority expats. So expats come and go, you know, in Asia. And so that's what we want. We want a, a team full of that are all Vietnamese citizens. And and that will be our goal to come down to IC, the International Cup in 2020, maybe work with Cambodia and Laos and get a team that would be, say, an Indochina Cup, even work with Indonesia maybe. Um, And that's where we would use all our networks across Asia and and work together and do that and find funding and things like that. So, I mean, you've got your short and long-term goals, but, yeah, that's where our long-term goal would be. You must be encouraged by the first two games in the AFL Asia women's calendar so far. Malaysia played Cambodia in the first game. You played Cambodia in the second game. Just this Saturday gone about the close results. As much as you would have liked the win on Saturday, just in your debut game to fall one point shy of Cambodia must be encouraging signs that we're not having beltings, that we've got a competition that's fairly even. Absolutely. The first game was with Malaysia and Cambodia. I um, heard about the game and you know, Malaysia were up four points. This Cambodian team there, like they're, uh, so it's two expats and uh, 13 Cambodian girls. So there were 15 girls that came across to Vietnam. These girls, they're short. Um, there's not much There's not much weight on them, but they, like, and a lot of my team said they tackle. Like you should see some of the tackles that they put on them. And so the ball, it's not that the ball wasn't moving. The ball was going to both ends of the ground, you know, and there was getting kicks out. There were people marking. There was actually some good skill set there, but it was just the competition was really level. And so that's what you want in football, right? You don't want someone giving someone a belting or, you know, beating them by 20 or 30 points or 80 points. You want that competition. And so that competition level is here. So, I mean, let's see in the next hit out. We've got the next hit out, uh, Vietnam versus Malaysia on the 19th of May in Penang. And so I guess we'll see then that competition as well for the next game coming up. But we're hoping to keep it quite even and we hope that it stays like that. From your first meeting, what's the next thing you want to focus on with your team when it comes to skill development to help, obviously, uh, improve their performance on the park and hopefully get a win next time round? So with me growing up around football and things like that and getting the handball, the handball comes to me naturally. What I've noticed with a lot of my girls is, and especially my Vietnamese girls, is someone comes in, they grab you, and my girls look around and throw it. And it just comes naturally just to throw it out. And so I've got to develop, what I've got to develop is something that where 
you know, they're coming in to get tackled or they've got the ball and they find an option and they handball it rather than throw it. And that's a big thing up in Asia. And so I guess for me it's starting there because, I mean, everybody can kick a ball, whether, it, you know, let's not focus on how far it goes or who it goes to, but kicking is kind of something that people can do. But handballing doesn't come natural. So I find that in the, in the game what happened a lot was we threw it a lot, so we gave away a lot of free kicks. So that's what I'll focus on from now is um, handballing. And also just communication between the girls and, and getting the girls to, to learn, you know, obviously the girls have to get to know each other to be able to play like a team. So that's what we'll be focusing on for the next probably month and a half and the next game coming up. And what's the squad depth looking like at the moment? How many names do you have on the books and, and how often are you able to train together? So, Peter, at the moment we've got looking at my team, memberships paid up. So what we did, what we've got is a scheme where... You know, obviously, when you look at the local Vietnamese culture, we, we make a scheme with the memberships where the expats get pay a certain amount and the um, the locals have a subsidised fee from the club and a sponsorship. And so we've got um, paid-up members. We've got six Vietnamese and um, probably about 16 expatriates, so 22 on the books at the moment. But but in looking at that, we have probably around 35 girls that have come out for training and things like that. So the numbers are increasing. Um, but it's just getting girls, you know, that obviously out of their workplace and girls that want to commit. So committed girls, we've got 22. But actual girls that are coming out and giving it a go, we've got probably up over, you know, 35, 40 girls. That's fantastic. So the numbers look good. It's healthy. That, yeah. that, that's fantastic to hear. And, and just taking a rough guess, what would you say is probably about the average age of the side? Average age, okay. So looking at that, our youngest... Um, our youngest Vietnamese girl was 17 and our youngest expatriate girl was 16. Um, and our oldest two ladies were 50 that played on, on the weekend. So we had a, a range of girls. Um, so probably average would be about maybe 32. I look at that. 32, probably. So, yeah. So, so, so not too young, not too old. You know, it's average age. So some experienced footballers, but good to find that you've got some young ones as well because as we've talked about uh, recently, particularly with those in the US, they find a struggle to get the college-age girls because of so much competition in that sporting field. So I guess an encouraging sign for football there in Vietnam that you're able to get those that are in their late teens. Yeah, that's what we'll be looking at. That's what we'll be looking at. Late teens and early, early 20s, you know, young Vietnamese girls maybe that don't have families yet that can travel with the sport. Um, that can really get out there more than once a week um, so that we can develop up that skill set and develop them and get, give them that, you know, the inspiration of what football's like and how we play it. And, you know, it, it's a different culture. It's diverse. It is diverse culture when you look at diverse cultures and, and, you know, empowerment for girls and things like that. So we need to kind of hone in and focus on, you know, the young girls that are up and coming if we want the um, majority of people to be Vietnamese in the team. Yeah. And being an Aussie, but it's a big. You know, we started. That's the main yeah, thing. Absolutely, and and being an Aussie game in a foreign land, how's it been like trying to get resources? For example, getting sponsorship to be able to pay for the football jumpers, to be able to pay for travel, to also being able to even find a facility to train, let alone play on. It's quite difficult up here, actually. I will say in Ho Chi Minh City, we a lot of the turf are astroturf, so there's one main turf that would be at the RMIT University that um, majority of the sports teams around here use when they have game days. Other than that, on a, we train on a weekly basis and we train on AstroTurf, um, which is not very nice when you tackle and things like that. And that's another thing that 
you know, kept the girls kind of a bit frightened, like, the, you know, if you hurt yourself, you scrape yourself on the AstroTurf. Um, so we do a lot of kind of like with training, we, we do a lot of um, when we have, you know, muck around games and things like that. It's more AFL, for the AFL um, like sevens or nines or, you know, X or something. So we just do that kind of stuff, handballing games and things like that. Um, but looking at, say, you know, looking at the team and getting jerseys and balls and all that kind of thing, I have been down to Australia recently, so I brought a whole lot of Sherman balls up. So we buy them through AFL Asia at a discounted price. Um, so I brought a whole lot of balls up, so we've got balls. Um, looking at our uniforms, the club gets sponsorship, so we've got sponsorship through Wide Eyed Tours, um, AFG Group up here, and um, a few others through Vietnam Swans. So as the ladies team, we've come on board under the Swans, so we're the Swans ladies, um, the Swans men's. And so within the club, that sponsorship's allocated to us as well. And we're looking for new sponsorship all the time. And so we'll be doing that over a range of time. I'll be setting up a proposal and looking for sponsorship to develop the women's football here in, in Vietnam. Yeah. Now, just before we let you go, Chair, if people want more information about the Vietnam Swans, where can they find that? So we've got a few outlets. Um, we've got a website uh, for the Vietnam Swans. Um, the women's team has got a, a private uh, Facebook page and we'll be setting up Instagram and looking at setting up our own page. But at the moment, we're going under the Vietnam Swans. So, yeah, for Vietnam Swans, they've got the Vietnam Swans website and they've also got the Vietnam Swans Facebook page um, that can easily be searched by Google. And then also there's um, myself and our president um, can be contacted and, and we're on the website there to be contacted Um if more information about the women's team or, or the men's team up here in Vietnam. Well, Chia, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of the AFL Asia competition for 2018, and hopefully we'll see you all in Melbourne in 2020 for the next edition of the International Cup. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Peter. <laughs> You're listening to Girls Play Footy. I'm Peter Holden. Let's take a quick look at the Lisa Caddo Media MVP Award. Eight players can win it with one round to go. Uh, Daisy Pierce at the moment on 12 votes, five away from the leader. So at the very best, she can tie for the top spot. But uh, if obviously the leader polls a vote or someone jumps the current leader, well then Daisy Pierce is out of the calculations. Four votes away from the top, Chelsea Randall from Adelaide and Ali Blackburn from the Western Bulldogs. Two votes away from the top, Kate Luckins from Brisbane and Courtney Gum from the GWS Giants. And one vote away from the leader, Emma Carney from the Western Bulldogs and Elise O'Day from Melbourne. Currently on top on 17 votes, Alicia Eva from the GWS Giants. Let's pick up the phone and chat with our Adelaide reporter now from the Two Crows podcast. It's great to have on the line, Alison Schiller. Let's have a look at the Sandful W that was uh, played over the weekend. We're talking up that game between South Adelaide yeah. and North Adelaide. And wow, chugga-chugga-choo-choo, the South Adelaide <laughs> steam train chugs along. 7-6-48, defeating the Roosters 5-2-32. Yes, Peter, my uh, reverse psychology on the pants has worked nicely because I tipped North Adelaide, spurring on the pants there to get themselves across the line at their home deck. Um, North, to be honest, I, I was in attendance for this game, were far, by far the taller side, cleaner, more precise with the ball, but to South's credit, they worked them over. Pressure, tackling, speed, just whoever got the ball was under the pump. Um, they just couldn't get a clean break at it, and they ran out the game so strongly, South Adelaide. They're elite 
uh, fitness, thanks to Chrissy there, um, really getting them up on board. For North Adelaide, Caitlin Rosenswive said this name many times, um, one to watch there, showing off her skills with three goals. Um, with uh, Castle on the hill and uh, Ash Woodland there getting into the goal kickers. Uh, for South, though, a debutante, Michaela Walker-Murphy, debutante, four goals, bang. Can't, cannot be happier with that. And Mildura's uh, Georgia Rose continues to find her way at the level, kicking two goals in the first half. Uh, one of my favourites, Molly McKendrick-Lamar, was fantastic, great, fierce, and she's turning heads on everywhere just with her toughness at the ball. Nikki Gore, well, again, another name. I seem to be saying the same ones each week. She is one to watch. Strong through the midfield and a game-high 26 disposals. Thank you very much. Cannot get through a Panthers game without mentioning Captain Fantastic, Christy Harvey, at her bullocking best. Uh, McKendrick and McKinnon dominated ruck 28-14. to 14. Even though North's ruck was a good head taller, then the two girls, um, they managed to get the ball out to their players. And Hamadov halfback provided um, great drive and run. So the goal kickers there, obviously Walker uh, with four, Rowe, two, and McKendrick. Uh, best players, Gore, Harvey, Walker, McKendrick, Hammond, and McKinnon. The North, Rosen, Swipe, the goals, Castle and Woodland, as I mentioned before. Best players, Ash Woodland, Kali Radan of the Crow type, Collie, Bond, Perry, and Castle. Thank you very much, Peter. And I think the inspiration for that win must have come from Chrissy Steen listening to your predictions last week and uh, firing think, up the I girls. I think that's fair. Let's... Yeah, Peter, that's very fair. <laughs> Glenelg, 2-5-17, going down on a close one to Norwood, 3-2-20. Oh, oh, so close, but so far for the Tigers. Um, I predicted Norwood to win, but this I didn't see. Glenelg were with strong chance of this and just a bit of wayward kicking. So low-scoring affair, only three points separating them when the final siren sounded. Glenelg still without a win this season. They had more inside 50s, uh, just accuracy in front of the big sticks inflicted the most pain on the Tigers. So my question, I suppose, is are Glenelg on the improve or are Norwood on the slide? Uh, possibly both. Lexi Edwards, though, she continued on her form from last week. Uh, Charlie Day from Glenelg also responded well with her highest possession game all season. Jess Allen of the Crow Type showed why she is first round pick, absolutely dominating and monstering the ruck contest, providing a target along with a match high 17 disposals. Ange Moretz, well, she's just super consistent and reliable and always applying pressure to the oppo. Uh, on the other side there, Penor, just a special mention there, Beck McMahon continues to lead from the front for the red legs. So we're for Norwood there. The goals were from Xander, Burns and the McMahon. Best players, McMahon, Bush, Burns, Gallagher, Campbell and Zasevich. And for Glenelg there, uh, Edwards and Kellogg were the goal kickers with Dor, Edwards, Allen, Du, Moritz and Trevina among the best players there. And we thought this final game of the round was going to be a one-sided affair, but boy, did the double blues show up. Just falling short, West Adelaide seven three forty five defeating Sturt six four forty. Well, all, all calculations there, Peter. Sturt should have overran them in the final quarter with uh, West Adelaide scoreless, completely scoreless in the final. Uh, with Sturt piling on two four, and I bet you they wish they reversed that order of goals and points. Uh, Abby Holmes and Rachel Killian uh, playing for Westies, and they're doing their level best to get a recall for the Crows. 
with both kicking two goals and Abby getting into the best players there. Westies did lead at each quarter with Sturt keeping them scoreless, sorry, as I mentioned in the final term. Um, Sturt had 17 more disposals, eight more inside 50s. Sounds a bit similar to Lonelde, they just could not convert. Uh, for Sturt, they're making their first appearance. Uh, George Bevan, best on ground for them, 26 touches, if you don't mind there. Uh, Bevo, she's also trying to get back into the Crow side. Uh, Caitlin Swanson always did the four quarters of effort there. You cannot go past her. For Westies, uh, goal kickers, as mentioned, Killian and Holmes with two. Uh, Biddle, Tab and Smith with singles. Best players there, Rodardo, Martin of the Rochelle kind, the rising star from last week. Biddle, Gordon, Holmes and Martino. For Sturt, uh, Berry with two. Trenorden, Bamford, Swanson and Gunblack. That's good old Gunny. Uh, the goal kickers, best players mentioned, Bevo, Gunlack, uh, Foley, Bamford, Swanson and Berry. Let's have a look at round mm. seven. As you said, a triple header. And uh, we begin at 4.15pm with Glenelg and North Adelaide. Well, the little roosters. I think they're going to be out. They just want to keep in touch there for that second spot on the ladder. And I'm afraid Glenelg probably will continue to be winless. Sorry about that, Tigers, even though you're magnificent effort on the weekend. Um, I'm going to tip the Roosters there. In the second game, it's the Double Blues taking on the Red Legs. This is probably one where it will determine if Norwood are on the slide um, or how good Glenelg were on the day. So, Sturt could actually have an upset here. Um, I mean, the common sense is pick Norwood, but I'm keen to see what Sturt can provide for this one, so don't discount them. And in the final game, Westies and South. Uh, Panthers. <laughs> just, you, you can't go past them at the moment. Um, I think the steam train's just going to keep on rolling through all the way to City Mazda Stadium and all the way back up to Hitton Bottom Oval by the end of Saturday evening. Well, Ali, Sorry, th- Westies. <laughs> well, Ali, thank you very much <laughs> for joining us here at Girls Play Footy and all the very best to your Adelaide Crows on a nail-biting Sunday afternoon when you take on Collingwood, possibly for a grand final spot. Go, you Crowies. And that concludes things for yet another week. A friendly reminder that Girls Play Footy airs first Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival. That's Digital Radio Melbourne and via the RSN Racing and Sport app. And then is available as a podcast on Thursday mornings via SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Just search for Girls Play Footy. And don't forget, for all the latest women's footy news, to head to girlsplayfooty.com and find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I'm Peter Holden. Until next week... It's bye for now.